0: Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and I'd also like to say a big welcome to season three of the podcast. Now, some of you may have noticed that season two was only three episodes long, but you know, it's a new year, some new life is being breathed into the podcast. We're going to be releasing eight episodes over the next eight months, which is really exciting. We're going to explore some fascinating and important topics. And so I thought those were all good enough reasons to kick off a brand new season. I'd like to say a big thank you to those of you who have emailed in some feedback. It's been really great to hear from you and hear what you've gotten out of the episodes. On a personal level, it makes the whole thing worthwhile for me. So thank you for that. Now, I did notice that some of you had to really hunt around for my email address, and it made me realize I haven't actually said it in an episode for a while. So you can email me at mick, M-I-C-K at iumental.com and I'll say that at the end as well. So this week we're talking all about attachment in relationships, and because we're doing a new season, I thought we'd do something a little bit fresh, a little bit different. And there's actually another human in our little studio with me right now, by hello. the name. Hello. Hello. <laughs> a small human. Here I am. <laughs> by the name of Grace MacArthur. Grace, welcome to A Mental.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, Grace is a colleague of mine. She's a friend. Are we?
1: Are we friends? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you, so. I sound very confident. <laughs> no, we're friends. We're okay, friends. oh, okay.
0: Um, <laughs> no, she's a really talented broadcaster. She's a natural born wordsmith, and she's also studying her honours in psychology this year. She's got a passionate fascination with how humans work, so she's kind of overqualified to come and be on the show. She doesn't know this, but I've been secretly plotting for, you know, a good year now to get her involved in the show in some <laughs> way, shape or form. So it's quite exciting for me personally that this day has come and she's, um, I've roped her in. So thanks for being roped in, Grace.
1: Thanks for roping me in. <laughs> it's good to be here.
0: Um, now, I've known for a while that you have a particular interest in attachment. I
1: do. So
0: it's a lot of the planets are aligning f- for having you here on the show. Uh, why? Why the fascination with attachment?
1: I would say the fascination has come from a personal experience with it. So Mm -hmm. learning about attachment theory really changed my life. And then I've always been interested in all sorts of theories and frameworks that help us understand who we are and the way we're wired. And attachment theory is the latest in my obsession, and it has probably been the one that has stuck with me the most made the biggest impact on my life personally and also just really resonated with me and I've yeah I've dug a lot further than just some sort of blog posts and now I've done a full sort of career pivot and going to to study and research it more so why don't you give us a kind
0: of broad brush strokes like when when we're talking about attachment what are we actually talking about
1: So the theory has had a fairly long history and started with a man called John Bowlby. And he was looking at attachment in infants. And that has sort of developed over the years along with a woman called Mary Ainsworth and looking at the attachment between an infant and their mother and what happens when the mother leaves the room or a stranger comes in or there's the mother and the stranger and how babies basically cope with that. And you hear about things like separation anxiety Mm. and all of that sort of thing. So it's been developing in that sort of infant space for a while. And then we had some researchers come in and go, hang on, this is probably going to apply to adults as well. And there was a thing called the Adult Attachment Interview that got developed that was looking at how adults uh, may experience attachment-related issues in Mm. their relationships. Based
0: on their childhood attachment?
1: Uh, sometimes yes sometimes no okay. it's never a fixed thing it's not like you're stuck in a box and mm. you are labeled in one sort of attachment style and that's you for the rest of your life uh, all sorts of life events can shape your attachment style so it could be that you had a really secure upbringing and you had an amazing attachment to your primary caregiver and then something happened in your teen years or in your early 20s or or any any period really a, a divorce of your parents or divorce yourself or Mm. some sort of abusive relationship or whatever it may be Mm. that then impacted the way that you attach to people that you are in relationship with Mm -hmm. so there's been some really interesting research into attachment in romantic relationships Mm. and some research that suggests it's very similar uh in the way the way that we attach to people in romantic relationships as children do to their primary it.
0: Okay, cool. So you've mentioned already the word attachment styles. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've heard, not only have I heard about them, I've got an idea of the labels for them. And yes. I'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well. But maybe this would be a good time for you to give us an idea of what the different styles are and what they mean.
1: Yeah. Okay. So originally they fell under three categories, which is secure, anxious, and avoidant. Mm-hmm there has been a bit of research uh, and a suggestion put forward that there could be a fourth style which is a sort of subsection of avoidant so we'll get into that okay so
0: but the other three are the kind of main ones
1: yeah they they all all of the attachment behavior that people will exhibit comes under secure anxious avoidant mm. and then there's this sort of other style with an avoidant that's a little bit different from the typical avoidant behavior, but still does stem from avoidant. Okay. So we're going to okay. discuss that briefly. Mm. But on the whole, when you look at the overwhelming amount of research, It all sort of stems from that secure, anxious, avoidant, and and that's the majority of people. It's quite, the fourth style is a little bit more rare and it's still developing in the research. So that's why we're sort of going to focus on those three main styles. Okay.
0: And are you going to maybe give us an overview of those three then?
1: Yeah. Okay. So secure attachment. So this is characterized by low anxiety and low avoidance. So this is the goal. This is the, this is yeah. where we're wanting to get to. I mean it's got the name that it's got the most positivity attached to it, right? Exactly. So these people they view themselves of worthy of love mm. and they view others as generally accepting and responsive to their needs. Mm. So they're not worried about being rejected that much. They're confident in themselves. They're not they they don't sort of count themselves out. They are Open to being vulnerable, they're open to being honest with their partner. They're open to expressing needs. They're capable of being relied on and able to say, "I don't have capacity for that right now. I can't help you with that, but mm. I want to help you." Those sort of things. Mm. They they have confidence in their relationships, basically. Right, great, okay. Let's let's be that one. Yeah, that that's where <laughs> that's where we're all wanting to get to. Uh, then we have anxious attachment. Now... I'm done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, so an anxious attachment style is one where these people overemphasize the need for protection and intimacy and they have a low view of themselves and quite a high view of mm, others. Okay. They assume they will be rejected. Right. They are always worried about being rejected. They need a lot of affirmation and reassurance and they're, they're often seeking affirmation and mm. reassurance and they can get quite wrapped up in worries about the relationship. So they're mm. often really focused on the relationship. They're focused on maintaining close connection with their partner. They're focused on uh, trying to understand what the partner is feeling and and really wanting to make sure that they are safe. Mm.
0: So your description of it sounds like the way you've described it. It sounds kind of intense or you've described quite a full version of it. I know yeah. I'm potentially jumping the gun slightly here, but like can you experience like can you just drift into feeling that way sometimes and then feeling less anxious other times?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And whoever you're with is going to impact that a lot and right. and so are the experiences that you go through. So if you sense a threat to the relationship and you're an anxious, you tend towards anxious mm, attachment, mm. that's going to fire up all of those sort of behaviors where you're worried and you're anticipating rejection and you feel mm. like you may be underappreciated. You feel like uh, they're not as invested as you are. There might be this sort of common refrain of like, I feel like I love them more than they love me. And that's sort of that, that's a feel, a common feeling that might be an undercurrent always. We're always thinking, I'm more invested than them. Mm. I care more and and always feeling undervalued, underappreciated, despite what the other person might be doing and mm. and, and feeling. And, and you're right, it's not always going to be to the extreme. You may have moments where it gets to the extreme because there is a threat to the relationship or you're, there's outside pressures and stresses. Mm. But it also could be low level where... Your partner doesn't respond to your text for a few hours and you mm. start going, they don't care about me. I'm not a priority. Mm-hmm. And and that sort of – those sort of scripts start running through your head. Mm. That's a sort of low-level attachment anxiety behavior. Mm. Okay.
0: Yeah. And I guess there's people out there who – because you're a really – I mean, I know because we're about to hear an interview of you um, – that your attachment style certainly was anxious or tends towards anxious. Yes. So you you're an emotionally aware person, so you'll know the scripts that are running through your head. But there are probably people out there that are like, oh, that's right. When I don't get a text back for three or four hours
1: I feel it. I feel that I feel anxiousness. something. Yeah. yeah,
0: I feel crappy. Yeah. But there's maybe not there hasn't been the words wrapped around it yet to know what, what, what those that feelings is. are.
1: No, and you feel crazy when you're when you don't have the language. Mm. I know I did and you, you can't help it. You can't help but sort of send five texts in a row mm. or whatever it may be. Another important point about anxious individuals is that stressful events to do with the relationship or in general that impact the relationship are going to be met with quite heightened emotional behavior. So big displays of emotion when you have maybe a minor argument with your mm. partner or a sort of ambiguous, vague behaviour from your partner might fire off some quite negative emotional responses. Mm. That then can start a sort of spiral Mm. of behaviour that is all-encompassing, overwhelming, you're desperately scrambling to get connection, you are overwhelming the conversation with your emotions, you are trying to seek reassurance but you're not really asking for it clearly, you're sort of coercive attempts to get reassurance and that that's another sort of key part of an anxious attacher is the the way they express their emotions in times of stress within the relationship. Mm.
0: And I'm guessing that those big emotions come from a place of fear, right?
1: Yeah. Worst case scenario starts playing through their head and they can't. What is that? What are they afraid of? Rejection, abandonment. Right. Yeah. So Which are not. I mean, you know. Oh, and all of us are afraid of that. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely valid. And... What we'll see in talking about all of these uh, attachment styles is it is this thing called internal working models. We are basically, through relationships in our life, we have had experiences that inform us, if this happens, this is how people react. If I'm close to a person, when, when I do this, this is what they do. When this situation ah, yeah, comes yeah, yeah. up, this is what happens. Mm. And that informs our behaviors. And so we learn ways to get what we need. And sometimes that can be in unhealthy ways. So we've learned that we need to do this, this or that, not consciously, but it's sort of this internal working model is mm. why it's called that, to get what we need in a relationship. So that could be from childhood. That could be from a really bad teenage relationship, whatever it may be.
0: Mm. So an inter- internal working model is kind of like a, a way of being in the world, a, yeah. an expectation of how interactions will will go.
1: Yeah, it is. I have...
0: Should we... I know you've got more, but should we get, onto yes, we, get on to avoidant
1: Yes, let's get on to avoidant. more about it. Yeah. So, avoidant, they... Stop avoiding it. <laughs> yeah, I am avoiding it. <laughs> they are wanting to maintain independence and autonomy and... They want to be emotionally independent of their partner. This is the extreme mm. I'm talking about because obviously if you're in a relationship, you it's kind of a given that you want some closeness because you've chosen to enter a relationship. Mm. So avoidance is sort of how comfortable are you with closeness and intimacy in a relationship? And avoidant attachment people aren't particularly comfortable with that. Mm. And they are trying to maintain control and autonomy and they may suppress negative emotions. They don't want to need their partner. Mm. They don't want to be vulnerable with their emotions with them. Uh,
0: So independence is a really important value for someone who's got an avoidant attachment style.
1: It is. It is. Independence is very important and they don't want to feel sort of trapped. Mm. And, I mean, you can already start to see how them in a relationship with someone like an anxious attacher, you can see how that could start to get pretty messy. Mm. So we'll, we'll get into that later. Yes. very soon. Uh, they want to turn to their partners for support, but they're afraid to turn to their partners for support because – there's a few so they things no, that they play. Then they'll need them. That, yeah, they're, they're afraid to need them. They're afraid mm. that their need for support might be rejected, and then it's sort of I've been vulnerable for no reason. There's there's no point in doing this. Mm. Uh, they want to not get too tied up. When you're in a in an emotional romantic bond with somebody, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, physically. you are physically you are connected to that person, mm. and that can be pretty scary. And so they're trying to not get too close. They don't, they don't want to get too entangled, which there's some really valid things there. You don't want to get too tangled. Mm. And especially if you're not sort of the most secure, healthy you can be because then it can get really messy between mm. two people.
0: Would it be fair to say that an avoidant attachers are more likely to be quite kind of career focused and stuff like that? Like less relational people and really value what they are able to achieve in other areas of the life, or is that
1: yeah? Really? I guess, I mean, every avoidance styled person is going to be different, but you could say that they really value things outside of the relationship. And anxious attaches really care about relationships and
0: connection being
1: being like relationships are a top priority for Mm -hmm. them and so they're always thinking about the relationship they're always thinking about how to make it better whereas avoidant people aren't doing that and Mm -hmm. it's not like one is better than the other they are wanting to work and recreation and friends and that sort of thing they don't want the relationship to encroach too much on those areas or stop them from feeding into those areas
0: Okay, so that's a good summary. We've got so far, secure, anxious, avoidant. Now, do you want to briefly touch on this elusive fourth style?
1: Yeah. So so we've got the avoidant, which you may see somewhere as dismissing avoidant. So they have that
0: Oh dismissive avoidant. I've seen that yeah, online.
1: Yeah. yeah. So they that's what I was saying earlier they have that discomfort with intimacy. And closeness. So they have a high view of themselves as worthy of love, but a negative view of others mm-hmm. as sort of clingy and needy and dependent. Then there's this fourth style that has been suggested and it's a little bit different. It's called fearful avoidant. They are high in anxiety and high in avoidance. Pretty horrible place to be in. It's a bit rare. Is that a
0: mixture of the two in a way? Because if you're it, saying it is high a anxiety. Yeah,
1: it is a little bit. So they have a negative view of themselves and of others. Ugh. Uh yeah so they they downplay their need for intimacy and closeness because they are scared that it will trap them but then they also have this desire for closeness at the same time and fear the rejection and so they maintain distance to protect themselves mm. so often you'll get this sort of push and pull so it's like I really I do I do want closeness I do want to be with you but then there's this Fear and they pull away, mm. and then they don't want to get trapped, and mm. so it's just super messy. Mm. Uh, and I would say it's quite an extreme expression of attachment. So it's not going to be everybody. It's, is it the least common? I would say so. Yeah, I mm. think so. I think it is the least common, mm. uh, and you see it straight away if they are experiencing that high levels of anxiety and high levels of avoidance and. Such a low view of themselves and such a low view of others, like it's just it's going to be messy and and difficult to be in a relationship.
0: Okay, got yep. it. Okay, um, I'm feeling really keen to get on to the next bit because I'm a little bit excited about it. Because you, although you have a lot of uh, head knowledge about attachment, yes, uh, it's not just head knowledge because you have experienced firsthand in an actual relationship how this can cause more than a few little struggles. Yes. Um, So just to fill the listeners in, I have interviewed Grace and a gentleman by the name of Ben separately, and I've edited together this piece that you're about to hear. We'll play the first half first, and then Grace and I will come back in the studio and discuss it. Um, Should we just play it? Let's do it. Although I should say, for the international listeners in the audience, just so you know, in New Zealand, in Aotearoa, a flat is a shared house. <laughs> yes, it's not shared a, house. Not a not a, Not a pancake. <laughs> um, a flat is a shared house and a flatmate is like a roommate.
1: Housemate, yeah.
0: Housemate, roommate. Roommate, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's push play.
1: I actually first met Ben when I had been living in Auckland a few months and I was instantly like, ooh, a little bit of a something there. And
2: she was... Bubbly and interesting to chat to, and cool. And there was probably about a year or so until she moved into the flat with me.
0: So, did you like him when you moved in? No,
2: but he liked you. No. Hard to say. Complicated. I thought she. I really wanted to move in, and I thought she was really cool. But I don't think there wasn't like a crush type liking at that point.
1: And then, yeah, about a month in, I was like, this is going to be complicated. And it was.
2: <laughs> Something that was so complicated was the fact that I knew she liked me or I suspected that quite heavily.
1: I think I was attracted to him because he didn't give much away and I wanted to be able to, like, figure out what he was thinking. And then there was, like, this sort of mystery, which is probably just a... Like, you want what you can't have, kind of thing. Of like, this guy's not giving anything. Like, he does not wear his heart on his sleeve whatsoever. And that was the opposite to me. I'm going to find that (laughs) heart. I'm like, where is it? (laughs) I know it's here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, yeah, that was probably the initial. Yeah.
2: Just became really good friends over the course of that time.
1: And then he sort of got wind of somebody else pursuing me. And that kicked Uh, things into gear.
2: And I just couldn't stand the thought of that happening or her, like, being with someone else, which was really strange. And I was just like, I was an absolute mess. Like, I was couldn't sleep, couldn't, like, think. And so then that pretty rapidly over a few days sort of switched from, like, me saying to her, oh, I know you like me, to actually I like you, to the next day, oh, shall we give it a go, to the following day, yeah, I really think we should give it a go, <laughs> like... That yeah, really changed tack quite rapidly when the thought of what we had being lost came to the picture.
1: And then I, he left the flat because he was moving out and he was going to go down south and ski for a bit before he moved to London. And when he left, I was just distraught and i was like this does not feel like a normal level of sadness when a flatmate leaves like this feels this <laughs> does not feel like healthy <laughs>
2: at all yeah left down south with quite a weird but unresolved kind of feeling
1: like i opened the fridge and i saw his like empty shelf and cried like
2: <laughs> did you and quite like his food his yeah food? yeah that, that's yeah, what it right. was i was
1: just really sad to see that food gone
2: <laughs> i was actually out of reception a lot of the time but i had a little satellite phone where you could text and so I would text her, like, really snowy thing. Thinking lots about you. Yeah. <laughs> like
1: that sort of thing.
2: Yellow heart, but not red heart. Yeah, not red heart. Yeah. Never
1: red heart. Oh, no.
2: And I didn't realise that it was on my dad's account, so every text that she got was, like, Colin MacArthur was my dad. But I think she figured out what was happening. <laughs> it wasn't your dad hitting what? on her.
1: <laughs> and then he came back, and we were like, let's do this. And we
2: had... Two weeks there of being a couple and and just sort of just enjoying her company and enjoying being together and then
1: he moved to London and we did long distance and then I planned to move over there got the visa I was going to do the whole thing and that was in March 2020 and I was there for two weeks and then the UK went into lockdown and New Zealand went into lockdown 2020 we came back to New Zealand
2: arrived home on April Fool's Day feeling a bit silly I I think I slowed back into life reasonably well in, in New Zealand, and and Grace, on the other hand, didn't. And that put a lot of pressure. It put pressure on me, which
1: then put pressure on Ben, because he sort of became the only thing that was
2: going well. And so there was a imbalance in her reliance on me versus mine on her. And so I started, I think, developing a feeling of, like, why, why doesn't she do her own thing? Why is she kind of always relying on me for what to do and, and um, for a life plan. He
1: sort of took on this role of feeling responsible for my happiness.
2: And starting to feel that sort of responsibility, probably to an unhealthy level, and it was sort of uncomfortable and and felt a bit restrictive and, and confusing because I wanted to be there. and I love Grace and I wanted to be there for her and help her. But on the other hand, I didn't want to have to be. So I was caught between those. I don't want to not help her, but I don't didn't want to need to help her either.
0: You wanted her to be independent of you.
2: Yeah. Mm. Mm.
1: I was really grasping for certainty and we'd begun talking about the future and marriage and that sort of thing. And we sort of knew that commitment was a bit of a scary word for Ben and I didn't realise at the time that I was just wanting security and certainty, which for some reason, in my mind, equaled getting married. And that really spun out into a very pressured time.
0: What do you think is going on emotionally
2: for, say, her and you when that pattern repeats? Um, something will trigger it, like we making plans for a weekend and I, and I might want to do something by myself and she might want to do something as a couple. And I'll feel, like, restricted or needed or like she can't do her own thing and so I will withdraw even like from the relationship I'll sort of become less responsive I'll not want to talk as much and sort of like withdraw within myself to protect and to not like be drained and and drawn upon and then she will feel me drawing away or she'll whatever will trigger her side of things and she will go after me to try and get what she needs which is which is like reassurance or wanting to like feel connected and so that will then make me feel the need to protect myself more and and, and not provide that for her and then she'll feel like her needs is not being met and go after it a bit more and then it sort of continues like that until we The
0: vicious cycle. Yeah. What was that like when it was just repeating over and over and kind of sucking the joy out of <laughs> the relationship?
2: Yeah, it was it was hard. It was um it sort of made me question like Is this the right relationship? A lot of the time there was that that duality that I spoke about before around I really loved her and I wanted to provide for her and help her. But then I felt felt a lot of the time that helping her would suck the life out of me.
1: I was worried and anxious and probably lacking in trust.
0: What were you worried and anxious about?
1: I think about losing him.
0: And how did that affect your behaviour towards him?
1: clingy, um, needy. hate those words, but that is what it was. Trying to find reassurance in everything he was saying, trying to get inside his head, trying to understand what he was thinking, trying to elicit what I needed to hear from what he was saying. And
0: Quite hard to almost believe from my point of view as a colleague who sees you being, you know, talented and capable Mm. and able to just take every project on and smash it, you know, like... Kind of hard to imagine you being the clingy, needy, I know. you know?
1: And I and I, I think there were times where I was like, why am I like this? Like, this is not me. I'm not this person.
0: So how did you start to process and deal with this dynamic that had come up?
1: Uh, we had to hit rock bottom. Oh,
0: the old rock bottom. Was there a rock bottom moment?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had gotten engaged and we had set our wedding date and we postponed it three weeks before the wedding. That was rock bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we uh, Ben had had a, a bit of a breakdown, I guess, and, and all of the feelings he had been shoving down all came out.
2: I was just a bit of a mess, really, because I was still I had these feelings of uneasiness, but it was very difficult to bring them up because they would trigger a lot of anxious thoughts for Grace, which meant that I just sort of didn't address those feelings and they went unaddressed for a, quite a long time, a couple of months, and then started just getting sort of anxiety attacks. So, like physical sort of like being debilitated for for like a 20 minute period
1: i realized that he wasn't okay and he wasn't feeling good and he wasn't feeling excited and we were getting married in three weeks and then he came to me and was just like i can't like we can't do it
2: it wasn't like a i want to cancel the wedding and i don't want to see you again it was like i love you so much and i hate to do this but i but i don't see any other way and i'm like physically like feeling so horrible, and so I feel like I can't go forwards with it. It was her worst nightmare, and Mm. she thought it was the end.
1: I was very much like, are we going to break up? Are we still engaged? Are we still planning to get married? Is this the end fully? Which was really hard, and that threat to the relationship heightened all of the stuff that had been happening before so like those patterns that I talked about the like codependent relationship it just made all of that worse
2: and then the more that she fought to like keep the wedding dates the more I fought to not because I was like this girl just wants to get married like regardless of what kind of a person she's marrying or whether he actually wants to be there and so that made me question things even more and and so that was like a tough dynamic
1: and I just become a shell of a human and it's really hard to function normally I am just needing so much reassurance from Ben and yeah it just started this very difficult journey
2: after like letting the dust cell for two or three months I signed up to a counsellor to kind of work through it and I think it must have been pretty clear to him pretty quickly what was going on and so introduced me to things like Instead of moving away from Grace when she moves towards you, if you actually move towards her, then she might give you the space that you want. So I worked through that quite a lot with him, and it's a scary thing to say, no, I'm not going to try and protect myself and withdraw, but actually like, put myself out there and move towards her and trust that that will work. Mm.
1: I remember being at work... And I'd feel sick with nerves because I thought the counsellor was going to tell him, you should end this. It was awful, but it was really good. And Ben, like every week would come with like, here's some things I've learned about what has not been going well and what is not good. One really key thing was about the emotional tank of our relationship?
2: There's like a shared emotional tank in a relationship. Grace is, as the listeners will hear, a very articulate and sort of vocal person (laughs) And, and, and also definitely more emotional than me. So it was very easy for me to feel that her emotions would override mine. And before I understood this, I would not express things because I didn't want to hurt her. And so I sort of really developed the habit of not expressing my emotions and as a result would feel dominated by hers.
1: And I was filling up the emotional tank of our relationship and there was no space for Ben to put his emotions in. And he didn't ever push to put his in. It was a really great analogy and it had been a long time of me, I would say having a hundred percent of the tank and Ben having none. We we use that language still if we have a sort of particularly emotional conversation where I'm sort of expressing a lot, I'll then go, you know you have room in the tank. Like no. you can you can put things into. And he's like, Yep, I know. And that's it's so helpful. Like that's one of the the biggest gifts of counselling I think is getting language for the things that are going on that you can then use really easily and you use it and both people you've talked about it enough that both people know exactly what that means and you can you can move on.
2: I was very brave and really tried to express Anger at her, and you know even like stuff like that, which is negative, but I needed to find my voice and feel like I could actually call her out on things or or say, "I don't want to do this, I'm angry at you, you're doing this wrong. and that was quite an empowering <laughs> empowering thing for me. It's quite an emasculating thing to admit to, I suppose like wow. be it shouldn't be, though, but it? no, but that's how it was i a couple of times I remember. Vividly, like would have a fight, and I would leave the fight so proud of myself because I had not backed down and not just sort of said what I needed to say to make her happy, but I'd stuck to my guns and actually expressed what I was feeling. But what really helped was when we did our sort of sessions together as a couple with a counsellor,
1: and that was when we learned about attachment styles when we were in counselling together and we were in lockdown lockdown 2021
0: yeah the big
1: the lockdown the greatest hits. <laughs> yeah and it was actually really good I think it gave us a lot of time to work all of this stuff out a
2: whole lot of time yeah so <laughs> it's quite a cool thing when someone who hasn't really met you or has met you for half an hour can really put into words what you've felt for the past year or two years and make you feel like you're not mad and you're not broken but that this this is something that is common and like, understandable Okay, so I've pushed
0: pause on that. We're back in the studio. I've been sitting here uh, watching Grace do a combination of uh, smiling, squirming, and scribbling down notes. (laughs) Um, So you've obviously got a couple of things you think might be important to say, Grace, so do you want to go into that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Firstly, it's really confronting listening to that, Mm. I think. It's like... I mean, it's helpful to hear your story edited down nicely by you and also hearing Ben and I explain things from our different perspectives and seeing how early on those behaviours were coming out. Mm. There was interesting things in there that were kind of important to note was this sort of dynamic of pursue and withdraw. And that is very common in an anxious and avoidant relationship is the anxious person is pursuing and pursuing and pursuing because they want intimacy and closeness above all else. And that then causes the avoidant person to withdraw.
0: Yeah, and that's the cycle, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And something that Ben said was when his counsellor said, moving towards her when she comes towards you, and she might give you the space that you need. And that's sort of like a cycle breaker. Instead of just continuing the pattern of... Pursue, withdraw, pursue, withdraw, pursue, withdraw, and you spiral down and down and down. Someone has to break the cycle, Mm. which is what we'll hear about. Hi, it's Mick here.
0: I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit, and I often get asked how people can support the podcast. So what you can do is go to GoFundMe.com and search the words, Are You Mental? That's GoFundMe.com and search, Are You Mental? Okay, on with the episode. So I'm kind of aware that we're we've dived quite deeply into one particular combination, you know? And a, yep. an anxious attacher with an avoidant attachment. Is that essentially the nightmare combo?
1: Uh, I mean it's a common it's a common nightmare combo and it's very easy to explain because you can just see exactly how they exacerbate each other. And and the interesting thing about it is that the behaviors of each of those people directly target mm. the insecurity of the other. Mm. So... And trigger. Ben's withdrawing is the worst thing Mm. I could experience. And my pursuing... Is the worst thing he could experience. So when you get into that pattern and the relationship is under threat, like when you have to postpone your wedding or whatever it is, it's going to just fire up that attachment behavior that we've been talking about.
0: So what if someone's listening to this and they're in a pretty new relationship, maybe it's six months old, and they have worked out that they are an att- anxious attacher and their partner is an avoidant attacher, or the opposite for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um is, would that be a good time for them to run for the hills?
1: Not necessarily. I mean, I think as soon as you realise what the patterns are that you are going through, as soon as you realise your sort of needs and insecurities, and your partner's needs and insecurities, and the way that your behaviours sort of trigger each other, there are so many tools to heal that, and you are never stuck and. There is so much hope to move towards security. So it's not that you're doomed Mm, at all.
0: mm. So how do you work out what your attachment style is?
1: Well, for me, a counsellor suggested I go and do a bit of reading and a little sort of online quiz. Mm. It didn't take me long to see that I was anxious attacher to the extreme. Mm. You might not be experiencing the extremes. So if you went to go and have a look, you might read a few things and be like, oh yeah, maybe. But uh, that probably means that you're more or less secure and you might dip into it because of various relationship issues or whatever it may be.
0: Well, so if someone's listening and they want somewhere to go to find out, yes. where would that be? Like, where's this quiz that There you can is do? a quiz
1: on the Attachment Project website. So it's www.attachmentproject.com. Okay. They have heaps of resources, pretty uh, sort of simple explainers on the different styles and how they develop. And they have a little quiz on that website as well.
0: Okay, cool. And we'll we'll, we'll mention a book or two uh, at the end as well. Yeah. You just touched on something there that, that you said that someone might discover that they're mostly secure and they dip into. So that leads me to the question of like, are you just one or the other or can you be a mixture?
1: I would say- Or I a mean,
0: degree, you know? Is it like, I'm a little bit anxious? And-
1: uh yeah, I mean, I don't know the specifics of how, I, I don't think it's something that you're one or the other. I don't think there's, it's, again, it's not sort of a diagnosis, but I would say that you're on a spectrum from secure mm. to avoidant or secure to anxious, and yeah. I mean, so I... So you know
0: which way you lean out of those two, yeah,
1: I, right? for Personally, I can't imagine me ever having avoidant tendencies unless for some weird reason... Someone, I was in a relationship with someone super, super anxious, and maybe that would make me avoid. So, for, for Ben and I, for example, I would say he was secure when we started dating. And because of the experiences right. I had that caused my anxiousness to flare up, that made his avoidant tendencies go up. Light up, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, I'm again. We've mostly focused on anxious with avoidant. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know what different attachment combos are likely to be like when experienced in a relationship. So, can I just throw a few combos at you, and maybe you can tell me what people in relationships of that combination are likely to experience?
1: Yeah, we can just run through some basics. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, first of all, two secure attaches together.
1: The dream. <laughs> the
0: dream. Boring. Good,
1: good <laughs> no, communication, no. depending on each other, respecting each other's needs for autonomy and mm. for closeness. Um, they have an inner security which allows for more empathy towards their partner, more understanding of their needs, an ability to give and to receive. Pretty smooth sailing, I would okay. say.
0: <laughs> great. Great. Uh, what about an anxious attacher with a secure attacher?
1: So this is sort of what I just touched on. If if the anxious attacher is constantly wanting reassura- reassurance and needing heaps of emotional support, kind of like I was with Ben, mm. and if they're really uh, intense in conflict or have these big emotional sort of outbursts and require a lot of energy of the other person to deal with these emotions all the time, that person's probably going to get pretty exhausted bearing a lot of that emotional work. And so then they may tend towards some avoidance or some right. dismissing in interactions to sort of protect themselves and their energy.
0: What if their secure attachment style stays strong, so to speak? What if they're able to handle that because they are so secure?
1: I don't know if that would happen. Like I don't I don't know how in a relationship if one someone's going to move at some point, either the the secure person is going to either say this is too much, I'm out of here, or it's going to start avoiding to protect themselves. But what or, if
0: they're able to give the anxious person enough reassurance that their love is available and that they don't have anything to worry about, and then the anxious person is what, well, pulled well, towards secure? Yeah, right? well, that,
1: that could definitely happen. If the if the anxious person uh, can be adequately reassured, mm. then they could move towards more security, and, and that could really... But I would say that... I mean, for someone listening who is secure and maybe thinks that with someone who's anxious, you have to think about your own mental well-being and emotional well-being to bear the weight of bringing someone to security. So if they can do that, and if I guess it depends on the extreme extremity of the anxiousness, mm. if it's really bad and they actually need some help, I mean, they can go to counseling. And mm. get the strategies they like need.
0: Like you and Ben did. Yeah. And one quite cool slash cute thing that Ben said was that, like, the, the love that he had for you and mm. that you had for each other kind of underpinned, got you through the struggles. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if that wasn't there, why would he have stuck through? Yeah. Why would he go through all of that? Yeah. You know, you'd just, you'd just leave as soon as it was too much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about avoidant and secure together?
1: So the secure person is likely to have reasonable requests for support at times, as we all do. Mm. When you're in a relationship, you mm. rely on your partner and you ask for connection. But if the avoidant, I mean, we're talking in extremes here. If the avoidant is really extreme, they probably won't respond well to that Some at, at times. And the secure person will probably just give up because if they have reasonable requests for support and connection and semi regularly get those denied why do they want to be in that relationship mm. they could if they can then adequately express their needs and they can help the avoidant person understand why this is a reasonable request mm. for support or connection and really explain that well which we will we will get to in our sort of strategies and solutions then hopefully the avoidant person would would understand yeah okay this is this is not encroaching on my autonomy if i Support this person right. in this way
0: it's sounding like at every step of the way, an increase in self awareness of what's going on for you is yep. like key
1: absolutely, okay. and an an awareness of what's going on for the other person okay
0: well, as you've alluded to, we 're kind of going to do strategies and and things we can actually do in a sec, but before we do, there's a couple more combos that feel to me very interesting <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, two anxious attaches together
1: probably wouldn't occur that often. uh, They'd both be pretty preoccupied with their own needs Mm. rather than anticipating the needs of the other person. Mm. I mean, it definitely wouldn't work in the extremes. Mm. It would just be, it would be messy. They would be so focused on getting what they need. Mm. It's hard to even imagine really what the relationship would be like. Is
0: there any chance that they'd be really close because they're kind of to use that horrible word, clinging on to each, you know, maybe, both, maybe. You know,
1: I, do, I don't, see how that would be sustainable. And if they're in the extremes,
0: too dependent, maybe.
1: Yeah, if they're in the extremes, entangled. then they're always thinking, they're always thinking the other person's going to reject them, and mm. that would get really exhausting if both people were mm. anticipating rejection mm. and needing and no a lot. No one's
0: got the kind of resilience to give the reassurance. Yeah. to the other person. They're
1: both needing a lot from each other, so they don't. I don't think they'd have the capacity to then. Give Meet those needs because they're always worried they're not going to get mm. what they need. I don't know.
0: Okay, doesn't sound great. No,
1: <laughs> it really doesn't.
0: <laughs> um, two avoidant attaches together. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> do they get together? No, ever? exactly.
1: <laughs> it would. I can't see how. Why would the relationship start? Neither person want deep attachment or intimacy. Someone has to do the pursuing. And if neither, it, is that a bit harsh to say
0: that of avoidant people that they don't want deep attachment and intimacy?
1: I mean, they do want it. Of course they want it, but if they're really in the extreme of that, they're not going to do pursuit that is needed to get a relationship going Mm. because they don't want anything encroaching on their autonomy. So if you had someone who was pursuing, that might win an avoidant person over just enough to get into a relationship because, oh, here's this person that likes me. They're doing all the work. I don't really have to do much. I don't have to give much. But two avoidant people—I mean, I don't know mm. how you would get to that level of closeness to have a deep romantic relationship.
0: I wonder whether if two avoidants were together, it could work if it was less a relationship and more an agreement, like a yeah. kind of like maybe. a an arrangement, yeah, a may- functional maybe. You know, we uh, we watch TV and we uh, we don't do talk, things. We don't talk around about each our, other. We don't
1: talk about our deep. Feelings or rely on one another, but the thing is, everyone needs that. Everyone wants that. People need support from others. Mm. It'd be interesting to see what the dynamics were when those people were in need and yeah. needing support yeah, and connection. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, like when a big life event happens and they uh, need closeness and support. Mm. So once you're, when you're in a relationship and you work out your attachment style and you work out how that style or how the combination of those two styles could cause issues, obviously there's things you can actually do to help, and Mm -hmm. this is a good time to start discussing those things. But I thought before we do, it'd be good to return to the interview with you and Ben, because where we left off was you're just starting counselling, you're just starting to learn about attachment. Mm -hmm. So let's have a listen to where things go from there.
1: Cool. We were like, yep, Grace is anxious, Ben's avoidant. She's like, yep, that that checks out. And I went crazy reading about it. And it was like reading our relationship written on a web page. It was scary and confronting and freeing.
2: I think just the language was one big thing. Just like knowing that, okay, when I feel this feeling, this is me feeling avoidant. That then enables me to say, okay, I feel this thing. These are my techniques that I use when I feel that. And what, and what are those techniques? So moving towards her um, rather than withdrawing, rather than withdrawing um, can be great because that can stop that downward spiral of reinforcement. And even if that's not possible, I think the fact that we both had language around it if I could express to her I need some space tonight that she could then start to learn that that wasn't me rejecting her but it was actually just a healthy thing for me and it wasn't because I didn't want to see her or anything like that. So it was really helpful in actually giving reassurance to both sides that we weren't doing what the other was scared about and we were actually just fulfilling our own needs.
1: We learned a lot about how to identify when we would get into a sort of dance of our attachment styles, and mm. get very tangled up with me sort of pursuing him and actually wanted the chance to pursue himself, but I was always there first. And so we Ah, uh,
0: not pursue himself.
1: Uh, sorry, Pursue himself. No, pursue himself. himself. <laughs> no, he wasn't He was taking to, himself
2: out on a romantic date. He
1: wasn't desperate to pursue himself. <laughs> he was desperate <laughs> to pursue me, but I never gave him a chance.
2: We sort of had this language of avoidance and- had negative connotations, or and then same with anxious. If Grace is saying I'm feeling anxious, I'm like I don't want to be near that, and I need to protect myself. So we we came up with our own words for expressing I'm feeling a need for connection, or I'm feeling a need for space.
0: So she would often be I'm feeling like I need connection.
2: Yeah, which and is she, a much
0: nicer way of saying I'm yeah. feeling anxious. <laughs> yeah, and yours was space.
2: Yeah.
1: So some practical things that we did is I had five phrases or five sort of words that I used that were things I was doing to help heal my anxious attachment. It was to breathe. So I was able to identify the feelings in my body that occurred when something was triggering like that sort of anxious attachment behavior And so I would feel the sort of rush in my tummy and I would feel like this sort of sick feeling and I'd feel my head start to race, my mind start to race. So the first thing I would do was just like take some deep breaths to try and slow that down rather than just act on it. Mm. Because normally I would feel all of that and then I would act and I would ask Ben something or I would be really anxious towards him and he would sense that and it just made the dynamic really bad. So I would breathe and then I would Depersonalise. So, something that often people with anxious attachment style do is everything is personal. So, he takes two hours to reply to a text, and I am like, he doesn't want to talk to me or he's something about my request I've made in this text was too much. I'm too much. I need to pull back. I don't know how to pull back because I need him. I need to not be so clingy. How do I not be so clingy? Oh my gosh. Like I promise it's chill. It's fine. Like that was sort of what I would try and do. Being too much was quite a triggery thing for me. And I was, I was too much, but I was so worried about being too much. That almost made me more like, so depersonalize. Remember, it's not about me. If he was tired and I was trying to initiate a serious conversation, which I often did, and he said, oh, I'm, like, not really in the mood, that's not about me. That's not he doesn't want to have this conversation. That's about him. So depersonalizing, mm-hmm. learning how to self-soothe. So whenever I was feeling anxious or upset or worried or whatever, Ben was the person that could help that, that it could fix that, that could soothe that, and that just that wasn't healthy. It didn't help me and it didn't help him. So learning what I needed to do to self-soothe. So having things that I knew helped, whether it's going for a walk or painting or everyone has their own things. And then diversifying my support network. So instead of just going to Ben, actively seek out other people to get support from, helped a lot. And then creating space. Creating space for him to move into. And so instead of me Always going to him and me initiating time together, me initiating conversations, me initiating anything, like just taking a, a breath and letting him move into that space. And he did, but it was hard because I had to trust that he would. Mm. And in the moment of wanting it, like a moment of connection, I'm like, well, I can just go and get it like if I want to. Like I can say we should hang out, I should whatever, but instead just going, no, I'm just going to create some space And he always would fill it. But I didn't realize I'd never let him do that, really. And then believing what he said. Right. (laughs) And actually letting it sink in and, and believing that it's true. So when he says, everything's okay, I'm okay, we're okay, we're in a good place, we're moving forward, going, okay. And, like, letting that sink in. I remember one time I'd asked, like, if everything was okay, and he said it was, and maybe 10 minutes later I asked again. And he was like, I just told you, (laughs) like, nothing's changed. And that was a, that was, I remember that being a phrase I would journal a lot, like nothing has changed. Mm. So I did a lot of the, hello, anxious brain. (laughs) I know why you're here. You're trying to look after me, but I'm okay. Like, I'll take it from here.
0: So you, I mean, I'm actually quite Mm. impressed with this whole toolbox you've created, all these Mm. things that you can draw on that are really practical to combat. What your anxious attachment was telling you and making mm. you do.
1: Yeah. And I actually looked back through my journal yesterday and I'd written those, those five things down so many times. I had it on a post on my wall. I had it next to a post it that was a little goal post that said the goal post has shifted. I realised that the goal post was getting married. And I had my counsellor say, like, What would it take for you to feel like 100% really good right now? And it was like, it was for Ben to say he's ready for us to move forward. And she was just like, that's not in your control. And that is not the goal. The goal is not getting married. The goal is intimacy, fun, and psychological rest. Right. And when she said those words, I was like, we don't have any of that. Because we just spent almost a year working really, really hard on our relationship and figuring out all the things that were wrong. We had no psychological rest. We were working so hard all the time.
0: What's a, what's a kind of layman's way of describing psychological rest? Not- Like peace of mind.
1: Yeah, peace of mind. Not always processing big stuff, not right. always working on big stuff, not always sort of every conversation being about the issue, being able to just live your life and be present. So we didn't have that, which meant we didn't really have much fun. And so that shifted the goalpost for me. I was like, the goalpost is not
0: like- Walking down the aisle. Yeah,
1: no, it's just not. The goalpost is psychological rest, fun, and intimacy, like emotional intimacy. And I actually remember writing like, I don't need certainty. And that was a really big Whoa. deal. That was a really big moment.
2: Yeah, it just to sort of track steadily upwards. And I guess what that felt like was there was more of the good stuff and less of the turbulent stuff on the surface getting in the way how did that change your daily experience of the relationship i wouldn't worry about going to see her because i was scared of her bringing up stuff i didn't want to talk about or like emotionally overloading me so i was i was able to enjoy time with her a lot more and had a lot less sort of worries about that so so sort of we managed to reverse that downward spiral into a an upward spiral where the more of each other's needs we were able to provide, the more you know, the other person could then provide to the first person and kind of get on go around. So it just became easier and more healthy and felt more good.
0: We love more good. Yeah, more good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Less bad. Less
0: bad, more good.
2: <laughs> Where did that ultimately take you guys? Well, I guess it took us to getting married.
1: And we were sitting on the bed... And he just goes, I think I'm ready. And I was like, What? He was like, Yeah. I was like, Wait, you think you're ready or you are ready? He's like, (laughs) (laughs) Classic. (laughs) He was like, No, I am ready. And I, I was just like so shocked. I just like burst into tears. And then it was actually kind of, I did a lot of, Are you sure? Like, I actually did sort of dip into some very anxious behavior because I felt so part of me probably wondered whether it was ever gonna happen so it was it was very it was a very ordinary moment but it was really amazing
2: we set a date for October 2022 and it was three months ago now three and a half
0: wow three and a half months of marriage are you guys all sweet now as far as not triggering each other and having it all worked out and now that you know about attachment and you got the tools that everything's always fine
2: no. we're we're fine but it's not like there's never it's not like we don't accidentally trigger those feelings in each other from time to time but it's just so much easier to clean up and the more time goes on the easier it gets but I think that's something that will be there forever and that's fine because it's where a lot of richness comes from as well living with someone who is the opposite to you in a lot of ways
0: oh that's nice isn't it yeah. Kind of cute at the end. A bit of a happy ending. Yeah. Thank you for your vulnerability in that interview by the way, Grace. I oh, know you're um, welcome. good at was, being the expert, but it can be hard to be on the other side of the microphone. It was
1: very cathartic, a very cathartic experience.
0: And Ben even enjoyed it,
1: didn't he? He did. He came back pumped up and was like our relationship's amazing and like this undercurrent of really deep love has always been there mm. even despite a very turbulent sea. On the top, mm. so it was it was a really really awesome experience. But getting to reflect on the whole journey,
0: mm, cool. And you got a nautical metaphor into the episode, which I value. <laughs> we love those. Yeah, don't we? we love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you guys obviously employed kind of a range of tools and strategies to help you guys out. Mm. Uh, this seems like a good moment to kind of recap what some of the key ones are, so that people listening can integrate them into their own lives.
1: Yeah. So. I can speak really confidently from the anxious-avoidant combo, and I would say that's the one where it's common you could be in it for a very long time before Mm. you realise what's going on. And they're probably
0: the two people who need the most assistance, Yeah,
1: exactly. So individuals who are anxious attaches. An anxious person just needs that connection. And you heard Ben say that he learnt he just needed to move towards instead of away. And it's hard to do when you your internal working model is, I need to withdraw to get what I need. I, I don't want to go close because if I do, I might get mm. trapped. Mm.
0: So the kind of message possibly to an avoidant attacher, particularly if they're with an anxious attacher, is that if you don't step away, if you stay engaged, you're not going to lose yourself. Yeah. You're not going to be swallowed up by this.
1: Yeah, and for an anxious person with an avoidant person, you can reassure them of that. That's something I remember doing quite a lot, is just going, you are safe. Mm. Like, I'm not going to trap you. I respect your need for space. I respect your need for autonomy. What do you need? Like having to ask a lot more because avoidant people probably have a pattern of suppressing their negative emotions Mm. and so maybe don't have as much practice with expressing them and so need a little bit more prompting to get those out and to, to be confident that they can rely on the other person.
0: Mm. So I wonder if we give this little, because we're kind of in a strategies tools section, right? Mm-hmm. I know there's a risk of it getting a bit messy. Like, yeah. what are we giving strategies for right now? Is it is it for an avoidant person? or is it? I for, know, we've sort, we've sort know? of dipped
1: in and out. So let's just do a quick rundown of, for an avoidant person, mm. what they can do for their anxious partner. Let's do that. So convey strong, intimate, emotional bond. So physical touch mm. expressing care love commitment mm. one line can make a difference when a when a person is in their anxious spiral just reassure reassure them validate their feelings express that you understand i know you're feeling anxious right now you are safe mm. i am here i'm not going anywhere we are okay and and even if there's more that you need to unpack, even if you're actually, like, you're in the middle of some conflict or whatever, you can still express, if you can, obviously mm. don't lie, but if you can express that commitment, mm. then just, they just need reminding mm. of that in that moment. Mm.
0: Which is easy to say, really hard to do for an avoidant attachment, right?
1: Yeah. But the more you do it, the more you can trust that doing that will get you what you need also. Right. Because often the anxious person is worried about rejection and abandonment and doubting their partner's commitment, that just melts away as soon as they mm, get that bit of assurance mm, mm, and connection. Mm. So It's then, like it's
0: that text half an hour after that, the first one was sent saying, busy right now mm, but can't wait to catch up or whatever yeah, it is.
1: So simple. Like if you do that, then your anxious partner is going to do less of the pursuing because they are actually getting what they need. It does then as we will now get into, require the anxious person to cooperate in yes. that as well. Well, okay. let's,
0: let's swap over there. Yeah. Let's look at what an anxious attacher can do if they're with an avoidant attacher.
1: So let them pursue. Let the avoidant pursue. Mm. Give them the space that they need and trust that they will come. Express what you need in a clear, calm, consistent way. Not in an emotional outburst you never initiate with me, you never want to hang out with me, I always, Mm. like the never and always, Mm. they're not going to get you anywhere. Let them come to you. Express, hey, I really would love if you initiated time together or I'm really after some connection. Mm. Ben and I came up with the word gummy because I hated the word clingy because I felt like it had so many negative connotations. But there would be times where I just was feeling that bubbling of anxiousness and I knew that I needed to communicate that to him. But I didn't want to use the word clingy because I knew that that would just fire off some things for him in his hmm. mind. So I, we came up with the word gummy, hmm. which is the feeling where you just need a little bit more connection and I would just be able to say, hey, I'm feeling gummy. I don't know why we came up with that word. <laughs> I can kind of said It's sticky. A, sticky, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm feeling gummy. And so then he goes, like, that's, that's fine. Like, I remember it was in the supermarket that we came out with it and so he just held my hand for the rest of the supermarket shop right. and that was all I needed was so like a little bit of connection. Yeah, nice. But, so so it,
0: for an anxious attacher, trust seems to be something.
1: Yeah. Trusting, like trusting
0: that the person's not going to go away, leave, abandon, reject.
1: Yeah. Trusting them and giving them what they need, which is autonomy, the ability to take ownership of the relationship. Mm. So I would say... Anxious people that you need to work on your self-worth mm. as well that you are worthy of love and you're not you're not just going to be rejected every second you are your own person finding that confidence in yourself again, learning how to self-soothe to regulate your emotions on your own and not always going to your significant other being clear with what you want and need rather than using covert strategies and anticipating mm. rejection so just saying really love to hang out tonight. If you need some space that's cool, but just expressing what I need
0: mm. rather
1: than oh you're probably going to be too busy mm. or like whatever it is.
0: Expressing needs is coming up quite a lot, right? Yep. Like that's super.
1: It's a it's a big part of it. Mm.
0: And knowing that needing stuff doesn't make you needy, you know?
1: No, not at all. And we all have needs. Yeah, and if you're vague with your needs, that makes things really complicated for both people. So mm. if I'm vague with what I need to Ben, he feels uncomfortable, like something's being forced from him, so he just avoids, he doesn't want to deal with it. If he's vague with me, I'm reading into it, it must be something really bad, or something he's not telling me. Mm. If you're needing connection, for example, say, I really need connection today, and this is what it could look like for mm. me, rather than like, oh, are you planning to go for a run and then you'll be late? And like, oh, I guess that's okay. I mean, I don't know what I'll do. But yeah. like, you know, yeah. that that's not Super being an emotional risk taker. That's There's a bid hidden in there somewhere. Mm. And this goes for everybody. This is not just anxious. This goes for every person ever. Mm. <laughs> be an emotional risk taker.
0: Yeah. Great, great. Are there any other strategies that you want to bring up before we close?
1: Just to touch more on the whole needs thing, no one can guess what you need, and everyone is quite absorbed with what they're feeling and what they're needing, mm. and I think it's just getting rid of the myth of, like, you know, if you have to ask, it doesn't count. Like, Yeah, yeah, it, they should know Yeah, and it's, if it's we just, were really soulmates. Yeah, no, and it's just not true, and sometimes it does sort of take the, like, romantic element out of it, because mm. you have to ask. Like, mm. I've asked, like, I'd really appreciate a little note sometime. Like, I'm asking for him to write me a little note. That's yeah. not cute, but... Like, but I would say for everyone in any attachment style, a key thing is to just acknowledge that what you're feeling is okay and your needs are valid and there are ways that you can communicate them and doing that is so worthwhile. Mm. And if you can do that with your partner also going on that journey, you will be able to break so many of those unhealthy patterns. Yeah. Yeah, nice.
0: So what if someone's listening to this now Mm and they know they are a really quite anxious attacher in relationships, and they find it almost impossible to feel like the other person uh, loves them and that they're going to be safe and wanted in a relationship. And maybe even this has caused the undoing of all their past relationships, Mm. and they're starting to lose hope for ever having a healthy relationship. What would you want to say to them?
1: I would say, firstly you are not too much, you're just enough, mm. <laughs> and you aren't crazy, and you are worthy of love. And I totally know what it's like when you are stuck in a pattern or you're acting in a certain way and you're trying desperately to get what you want and you need, but you can't get it and everything seems to be sort of failing and it's hard to ask your partner it's hard to be honest, it's hard to be vulnerable, but there is so much hope. And I would just go back to those five things that I go back to all the time. I would say, when you feel that anxiousness, take four deep breaths. I would depersonalise whatever you're experiencing and know that it's potentially not about you. I would diversify your support network Lean on other people, lean on friends, lean on family, ideally lean on a counsellor as well Mm. because they can really, really help with this. Trust and believe what your partner says. I mean, I can't speak to every anxious attacher because I can't trust that the person you're in a relationship with does have the best intentions or whatever, but look at what they say to you, look at how they behave, look at their actions and believe what they say. If they are reassuring you, let that sink in and Mm. let yourself believe it. And that is a self-worth thing. Like if they tell you that they love you and they want to be with you, believe it, believe Mm. that they mean that. And then the last one is create space, create space for them to move into, take a risk I mean, you're going to need to communicate that you're doing that. (laughs) Yeah. But I would say you'll be pleasantly surprised if you start to do the opposite of your instincts. And there is so much hope. And Mm -hmm. I, I think everyone is impacted by attachment in some way, and everyone can do something to move themselves to more secure.
0: Well, Grace, I want to say a really big thank you for coming and doing this today. I say coming, we work, you know, four metres away (laughs) from each other. But no, huge thank you. And I know you've put a lot of time into uh, reading articles, preparing notes and working out what you want to communicate to people. So thank you so much. Um, And when you get home tonight, thank Ben from me. I will. (laughs) Good luck with your studies this year. And if people listening want to learn more about attachment, where should we send them?
1: Yeah, so there's the website I mentioned earlier, www.attachmentproject.com. They're also mm-hmm. on Instagram, Attachment Project. If you just Google Attachment Project, yeah. there's also a really great Instagram that has lots of good little scripts and tips and triggers and all that sort of thing, which is at attachment focused healing. Mm-hmm. And then there is a book, which I haven't actually read, so I can't fully endorse, but it seems to cover off a lot of this stuff and it is one that a lot of people recommend and it's very well known uh, which is called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Okay. So those would be some places to start.
0: Nice. Thank you. And I'd also like to say a really big thank you to Love It Media. They are on board with the podcast this year and they're providing a lot of support not just a bit of finances but also expertise, equipment, office space and general moral support too. So really great to have you guys on board as I said we're going to be releasing eight episodes this year over eight months which is super exciting for me some really fascinating important topics are going to be covered um, so stay tuned follow the show rate the show review the show and if you want to get hold of me my email is mick m-i-c-k at rumental.com. see you in a month with another episode and until
2: then have a mental week